Hello, everyone, and welcome back to EpiCentral. I'm your host, Maddie Lewis, infectious disease epidemiologist. And in today's episode, I'm explaining how to become an epidemiologist every step of the way. This is the final part of my three-part series of how to become an epidemiologist, which is really the complete guide. This is, for the most part, what you need to know if you're going to apply to grad school and become an epidemiologist. And man, I really wish I'd known all of this information before I went into epidemiology. Finding information about becoming an epi, how much they make, what they do to day-to-day especially, was really hard for me to find. I never really found a lot of that information. I kind of just had to figure it out in grad school. But luckily, it is getting easier There's just simply a lot more people on the internet who talk about epidemiology, including this podcast. However, a majority of the epidemiologists I see on news outlets, they're often doctors, and even some on social media are also doctors, so I think it's good to have people like myself who just have their MPH because most epidemiologists only have their MPH. Anyway, in this episode, I'm going to talk about finding an epidemiologist job and starting your career. One of the questions I get asked pretty often is, when to start your job search? Generally, MPH programs are four semesters. If you're wanting to be a public health consultant at a consulting firm, you need to start your job search earlier than everyone else, like in August of your second year. I know, that's very, very early but it is normal in consulting for them to recruit that entire last year, especially in the first semester of your last year. But for everybody else, I'm sure there are some exceptions, but for the most part, the most appropriate time to start looking and applying for jobs is your last semester, particularly in February and March time. That's when you're going to see most of the job jobs be posted that are specifically looking for MPH graduates. And if you apply to jobs before February or March, then you might be in a situation where they might accept someone with no experience, but they want someone to start earlier than May, which would put you in a bad situation because you can't really work full-time while finishing your thesis or capstone and doing school. So, If you do apply earlier, make sure that they know that you're graduating in May, but definitely offer to start part-time your first like month or two until after you graduate, then you can start full-time. Some employers will do this for you, especially because that first couple of months of work, that first month or two is just a lot of training and paperwork and stuff like that. So some will actually do that and work, work around for you. When it comes to the timing of finding a job, keep in mind that a lot of epidemiologist jobs are government and a lot of government jobs are really slow. So you might get an offer in March, but you might not be able to start until May or June. And honestly, the process can get really frustrating. Trust me, it took me like a month just to even get my offer letter after they offered me my job over the phone. And that kind of stressed me out because I was like, what if I didn't get this job? And I like hallucinated that phone call. Um, So just be patient. Expect that there will be delays in the process when it comes to the government. But keep checking up every week. You need to keep checking in. If you don't, there could be major hangups that you don't know about and you are the only person 
that is in charge of you, so you have to check in. Also, this goes for actual government workers, um, but also if you're going to be contracting with the government, like if you're a consultant for CDC, then you will need to go through some of this too, but you will need to do like a federal background check. Also, all of that goes for government workers, but also contractors. So if you are a contractor for CDC, then you will have to go through that whole long government process as well because you might need like a CDC laptop, equipment, government badge, and you'll have to go through the background check and stuff too. So just keep that in mind that even contracting positions with the government might take a while to be able to get started. Another question I get a lot is how to search for jobs. Honestly, I think the key to the whole online job search is mainly in your search terms. You need to be very familiar with what to search for to come across the right job postings for what you want to do. For example, to find the job that I was interested in, I searched terms such as epidemiologist, health scientist or health science, surveillance epidemiologist, data analyst, scientific data analyst, public health, etc. Use your search terms in any job engine. I mainly used Google, Indeed, and LinkedIn, but any job, in, any job search engine should work. If you want ideas of search terms and job titles, you can ask a professor, a mentor, or anybody who has experience in that field is a really good idea. Chances are there are job titles and positions that you don't even know exist, and a more seasoned professional will help you understand what you need to look for and ideas of what to look for. Remember, you don't know what you don't know, so asking people is a really good idea. Also, your peers. Also, I'm making other episodes about epidemiology careers, and for each career, I'm putting in search terms to be able to find that career on job boards. It's going to be very helpful. So if you know people who want to become epidemiologists, again, send this podcast to them. Oh, also, I'm saying the word job, but fellowships apply to all of this too. Fellowships are like many, they're, they're still jobs. I'm not even going to get into it. It'll be its own episode or something, but they're still jobs. So everything that I say applies to fellowships as well. So that's how you search using a search engine. But another way to search for jobs is finding companies or organizations and going directly to their job posting website. So what I did, and I'm really grateful for it, I think this is such a great tip, you guys, is I kept a list of companies and organizations I was interested in. And I kept that in my Google Drive, my Google Drive job search folder. And I kept it since the very beginning. So anytime that I heard of a company, organization, or any kind of potential employer for me, I wrote down the name of it in my Google Drive. And you can even keep track of like what cities they're in. And yeah, so you, you'll meet, you can meet second years, and if they tell you they work somewhere, write it down, and just write down as many as you can so that when you go for your job search, you have a list of companies already in mind, and um, 
because when you job search, you should definitely look in the search engines, but I would highly recommend also having this list and going directly on the, those websites and looking yourself because you will just find more that way. And also, I think this goes without saying, but this is all for like just your online job search. Hopefully, you already have some connections in person with people. Maybe you're reaching out to those connections in your network, letting them know that you've started your full-time job search, you're interested to hear more about their job or their career over the phone or over coffee. So yeah, that's kind of outside of the online space and that is really important too. Which brings me to talk about networking. Now, I didn't do too much of what people consider like intentional networking because honestly I didn't build the biggest network. I just had some professors I was cool with, mainly like one or two, and I don't know, I'm just more into building relationships very authentically. I'm not going to bother a professor just to bother them. I'm only going to talk to them if I really want to. So there's nothing wrong with building a big network and being one of those people who becomes friends with all their professors and like talks to each one after class and like goes to all the research things and talks to people and asks questions like that's great and those students do really well for themselves because they've built such a big network and they get really great opportunities but just so you know that's not necessary you don't have to be that person you can kind of build a network authentically just by participating in general and then letting those relationships form naturally over your two years. So yeah, after you build your network and you start your job search, start reaching out to people January, February maybe. Uh, you know, let them know you're, you're searching. Maybe interview them. Maybe ask them a couple questions about their career. Also, a lot of people don't know this, but this is 100% true. Everybody needs to listen up. This is really important. Some organizations or companies, you really need to have a reference or some kind of connection to even get a job there. And they never say this like officially. The reference thing is always voluntary, but low key, some of these places like they will never really consider you unless you have a reference or a connection there. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this because I don't think I can get in trouble for this. But with CDC, having a connection there or having some kind of reference will make getting a job at CDC exponentially easier. Of course you can without it. CDC, don't sue me. I'm not saying anything about you. I'm just saying it is easier to find a job there if you have a connection. Okay, and I know I'm saying everything's really important, but it's just, they are, okay? This is something everybody needs to hear, and that is about privacy and collaboration and attitudes. Okay, so some people, especially if you are in a competitive school environment in your program, some people get really weird when the job search comes around, like really weird. Some people constantly brag about themselves and they will be like, oh, I got an interview here, I got an interview there. And they'll even gossip about others and tear them down and be like, oh, I can't, like, you know, it's just not good. Don't engage with that kind of behavior. Don't gossip about where people are applying or what they're doing. And some people just want their privacy when it comes to the job search. And on that note, some people go, the, they kind of swing the other way. They get weirdly, overly private, and that's totally fine. Privacy 
Everybody has the right to it. If you don't want to talk about where you're applying or you don't want to talk about your job search, that's perfectly valid. I know for a lot of people, they don't want to talk about the whole job thing their last semester because it honestly just stresses them out. And they hate to hear, like, you're constantly hearing, oh, this person got a job, they got an interview, like, whatever. And it stresses them out. So that's perfectly valid. I totally get it. But some people honestly just want to gatekeep jobs, which I find really weird. Some people do literally have this attitude where they think if they talk about or share where they're applying, then everybody else is going to as well, and then they're not going to find a job, and that's absolutely not true. You're not really competing with your classmates, in my opinion. I think there are more than enough jobs for all the amazing people in your class. Also, like, half the people are going to move anyway, so, like, half of them aren't even your competition. And, like, another half of them don't even want that job. Like, they're doing something completely different. And so I don't know why people have that weird mindset of, like, they want to gatekeep jobs. I just, I find it really weird. And, like, the the likelihood that you and another person in your class are going to be, like, toe-to-toe for a job that's pretty unlikely. I don't know anybody really that was in that situation. And I'll just say this. I think the job search for me was really enjoyable for the most part because I was able to talk openly with my friends and be very collaborative um, when it comes to our job search. So I let them know. I'm like, if I ask you about this, it's not, like... I really just want to know how you're doing and, like, if you, like, want support in any way. And um, I would send my friends jobs that they seem like they might be interested in. Like, I had a friend who was interested in jobs having to do with lab work. And so anytime I saw one, I would send it to her. And I think that kind of attitude will bring you so much further rather than one that's just, like, the weird, the gatekeeping and competitiveness, like, don't, there is no reason to be competitive, like I said. Um, and all of my friends and I were able to find jobs we wanted by like early July. And some of us even found jobs before we graduated. A lot of us did. Also, like, the job market for Epis are, is really, really good. There's a lot of funding going towards it right now because of the pandemic. So I really just don't see the need in that. I think everybody's going to find a job just fine. But also, don't let your job search be like the only thing you talk about last semester. Don't be that person that makes it their personality trait or you're going to ruin your relationships Half the people at school just don't even want to talk about their job search because it stresses them out. And then, yeah, so just so just be careful about it. Maybe ask people if they are willing, if they even want to talk about it before you even open the conversation. And this goes without saying, but like celebrate your friends when they do get their job that they wanted. You should be really, really happy for them. And please don't let it bring you down. You're going to find a job. Like, even if you're the last person in your class who finds one, you're going to find one. And you'll probably, honestly, you'll probably find it pretty quickly, like, within within the spring semester, within the summer following. So I wouldn't worry too much. But also, like, just in case, I think it's always really important to have some money saved up or have some kind of plan for if you don't find a job immediately um, that's just smart financially because there's just no guarantee. And also you might find a job, but it might not be able to start until 
let's say July, sometimes that happens. And so yeah, having money saved up or some kind of plan financially to get you through that, like if you can stick with your part-time jobs, if you can go full-time temporarily at your part-time job, if you have parents that support you, just have a plan. Okay, another topic you might not think about until you actually start applying is what you ask for pay-wise. Well, I would advise going into the job search and having a pay range to stick with. For me, I didn't apply to jobs or accept interviews that paid less than $52,000 a year. Having a minimum is really important because we are underpaid in public health and places do try to scam you and they want a master's degree, but then they only pay $45,000 a year. That is unacceptable. Know your worth, people. We are epidemiologists in a pandemic and in a labor shortage. So as workers, the ball is in our core actually, and our job look out and our job outlook is very high. So you will more than likely find a job. There is no need to be desperate. Do not accept a job that pays $45,000 a year unless you are just able to do that. But I'm I'm just telling you you are worth more. If you have a master's degree, you are worth more. So my tip would be don't even apply to jobs. Don't even look at them that are going to pay lower than your minimum, especially if it's a government job. They're probably not going to budge. You're probably not going to be able to negotiate the pay because government jobs have pay scales typically that they have to stick to and you can't negotiate that number. However, if you're applying to jobs in the private industry, you absolutely should be trying to make their pockets hurt, make them bleed. I'm not kidding. Ask for a number that you think is ridiculously high. I honestly, okay, don't swing too high because you can weed yourself out that way. Like if you ask for like $120,000 somewhere that's trying to pay like 60, then maybe not. But as an epi, depending on your city, asking for like 80k or even 90k in a in the private industry is possible. And I'm saying numbers, but keep in mind, I live in a city where the cost of living is around the average cost of living in America. It floats just one or two percent above the average. So the numbers I'm saying are relative to that. Like if you're in San Francisco, skew these numbers up way, way higher. Okay, so what do you say for your pay range or your desired pay on applications? I'm no career expert and I'm sure actual experts have different opinions on this, but I would on I would just be honest, but I say that with some nuance. With government work, again, there's no like budging for a lot of that. And so being honest and just giving them 60k, like if that's your desired pay pay, for example, then then just being honest would make sense in that situation, in my opinion. But when it comes to the private industry, especially pharma or companies that you know can shell out more money and tend to pay people more, your minimum, I think, should be higher. Um, I would probably set my minimum towards 60K. I don't know. I applied mainly towards government face positions, so mine wasn't quite that. But if you're going to get the job you want anyway, then you might as well weed out the ones that are trying to underpay you and just be honest and don't lowball them and don't honestly highball them, please, but don't lowball them. Don't lowball yourself. 
No need to be desperate again. And actually, side note, I would really like to rally together epidemiologists on social media. I think we all need to start a riot and ask for more pay. I think we are all underpaid by the government. So many of us, like in an average cost of living city, many of us make anywhere from 45 to 55k as our starting salary. And that is disgustingly underpaid for the work that we do and for the importance of our work and the value of our work. Um, I think we need to rally together. And for anybody that hates to hear me talk, complain about that salary, I'm not saying those are bad salaries. Those are really good salaries. But keep in mind, if you spent six years if you spent four years in college and two years getting your master's degree and over $100,000 in debt because of your master's degree, then yeah, 45k is is not great in that situation. You know, that pay range is okay to live off of in an average cost of living city. You're probably going to be okay, but when you have that high student loan burden and you're starting your career later because you got a master's degree, then the situation's a little different. Okay, and I won't get too far into this next tip because I think everybody knows this, but keep an Excel sheet of the jobs you're applying to. It's so much easier to keep track because you could be applying to 50 plus jobs during your job search and you don't want to forget what you've applied to because... Some companies will have multiple jobs that are called the same thing, and you want to make sure that you're not applying to the same one or missing opportunities, so you really need to keep track. If you're not keeping track, then I don't know what you're doing. Okay, now you've found your job. Yay! You should be very proud of yourself. You should celebrate. What do you do next? Well, a good idea is to figure out your financial situation. Oftentimes, before you even accept the offer, negotiate your pay. Again, it's not always possible to negotiate because of government work typically, but really, you should always just ask. Even if it's government work, there is no harm in asking if you are able to negotiate before you say yes or no to a job offer. Negotiation is a normal part of the job process, so do not feel weird or embarrassed for asking for more. That is, again, the normal expected part of the job process. If you work in the private industry, you absolutely need to negotiate. I'm sorry if anybody is listening to this, but almost all of my female friends at school did not negotiate, and almost all of my male friends did. There's this really horrible gender difference. Women are, for some reason, convinced that we don't need to negotiate, but for some reason, it's normal for men to. It's really freaking weird. Don't be that woman. I'm telling you, you need, everybody needs to negotiate, but especially women. Ladies, I'm begging you to negotiate. I'm literally begging you. And a lot of my friends said, well, like, I was happy with the pay they offered. It was higher than I expected. I don't care. I do not care. You still need to negotiate because if you do, you will more than likely get paid more. And trust me, every $1,000 that you get paid more is going to make a big difference in your life. Ask for your 10k more because why not? If you ask for 10k more, they might give you 5k more why not take that? Um, but also ask for more vacation time because why not? Ask for more, ask for your employer to pay for your Wi-Fi at home. Why not? Ask for more. There's like a 99% chance you're going to get something, whether that be pay, benefits, or both. 
so you might as well negotiate. There are lots of resources online of how to negotiate, and it's something that you can practice just like an interview. So do your research before you're offered anything. And remember, before you say yes to a job offer, you're supposed to negotiate before that point. So don't sign anything. Don't give them the yes or no. Just say thank you so much for the offer. I would like to think about this and have the opportunity to negotiate. Okay, now you know what you're getting paid and you've accepted your job offer. And now it's a good idea to try to estimate what your take-home pay is going to be based off of your taxes and to figure out a budget. Now, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have a budget. I loosely stick to it. Honestly, I it's more of like a range than like a rigid number. And I do think that's acceptable. But outside of that, what I did is I made a list of financially related goals that I wanted to reach before my student loans took effect six months later. For example, I wanted to pay off my car and buy a bed frame. And now that my student loans actually don't even start until May, I have new goals, which is amazing. Um, so take advantage of your six month grace period. It's the perfect time to build an emergency fund if you don't already have one. It's also a perfect time to add to your emergency fund and make sure it's big enough going forward because after you graduate and get a job, you will probably be making more money as you did as a broke college student and grad student. So your living expenses will naturally go up. Also, please Google lifestyle inflation. I think that's a really important concept for everybody to know about. And lastly, with finances, make sure you understand how and when to pay off your student loans. Educate yourself on the payoff plans, the options, etc. And educate yourself on if your employer does matching which is like a stock market retirement thing. If you don't know what matching is, it's literally free money that your employer will give you, um, well, that'll, they will put into your retirement account. So it's like getting a like 50% return on investment. Is that right? Or is it a hundred? I don't know, but it's, it's free money. And any financial expert you listen to is going to tell you to take advantage of your company's match. So please look into it. Just overall, educate yourself on personal finance. There are endless resources nowadays for women, people of color, immigrants, and just anybody nowadays. You can find accessible and easy to understand financial information. And of course, nothing I said is financial advice. Do not sue me. That is not financial advice. I'm just saying research personal finance and figure it out for yourself. Okay, what else do you do after you find a job? Well, you've celebrated, you figured out your finances. I think you're in pretty good shape. Now you just have other less significant logistics you need to figure out. And I'm assuming if you're moving, you've already figured out all those logistics. I don't need to give tips on that. But now you need to figure out, are you working online or in person or hybrid? If there's anything in person, there's a chance you might have to get a new few work outfits. Buy a couple things before starting is perfectly fine. However, I would suggest waiting until you're actually in the office to get the rest of your clothes because some places say they're business casual, but they literally are just casual. Um, and you don't want to buy like a whole closet of expensive new stuff that you're not even going to wear to work because everybody else is wearing like a sweatshirt and jeans. So, and whether you work from home or in office, 
Do not buy office equipment, you guys. Your employer should be purchasing that stuff for you, especially technology. Like, don't buy a monitor because your your office, your employer should be buying that for you if, if you're working from home. Oh, and the March to May time is a good time to stop doing drugs. I'm ending on this note, which is really funny. If you're, like, smoking weed or something, that's totally fine. Go off, queen. But some jobs do a drug test so I would just stop doing drugs from March to May time. I think that's a good idea for everybody to do and yes I am ending off on a do not do drugs note but I hope this was helpful and I hope you stay safe and healthy and have a great week. Bye!